Hey, Maniacs, welcome back to the Bad Christian Podcast. I appreciate you joining us again. Uh, our whole camp right now is just buzzing. Things are going so good with the BC Roadshow and the you know promoting the new Emory release that's coming out. we got tons of great stuff coming up with that. Our team is just going crazy. It's a constant Slack channel going, and it's very productive. i got to thank Reva, of course, for running everything, Matt McDonald, James Whiteman, and Kenan Kofke. These people are working what seems like full-time on the BC Roadshow, so it's going to be great. They're promoting it. Tickets are moving. I suggest you get yours now, not later. I'll update you as they get close to selling out, but I would get them now is what I would say. Now, go to bcroadshow.com, and of course, the BC Roadshow is on the East Coast in November, and it features a concert with Emery, Sherwood, Tyson Motzenbacher, the Bad Christian Podcast Live, and Vocal Few, and then earlier in the afternoon, it's going to be something like a mini conference where we're going to do a bunch of interactive stuff. You'll just have to check out the website to see it. It's going to be great. We expect to see all of our listeners there. Even if you're like in Japan, you should get your travel book now. And we'll see you at the road show. All right, let's do it. Oh, hell yeah, God showed up. I don't give a shit what I put in my body. You don't ever fucking talk to me that way. <laughs> so if you've never done oral, then you're extra virgin. No, girl, it's my flesh. I showed my dad my penis when I was 25 years old. You don't get more honest than that. Three, two, one. <laughs> when you're it. in need, the Bad Christian Podcast. When you need something more, when you have to fill a hole, fill it with Bad Christian. Right. Well, uh, bad news to start the week for me here, everybody. Shit! Damn it! You, why do you got to do this? Well, I'm excited. You're going to start the week with bad news? Yep. We should have started with like some violin and cello, man. Yeah. It would have fit the vibe a little bit more. You, you're you're taking us off course here. I know. You make Sorry. me sick. Yep. You make uh, me sick to my stomach. That's, the, that's a little too far, Toby. No, I would Joey, say. I know. I hear what you're saying. It's kind I of a little too it, far. But he makes me sick to my stomach. I want to vomit right now. Uh, it's just, I, that's I just a little I, overboard, I, I would say. I pray I puke because I'm, I, we, you and I started on a good note. Do you hear how you're coming across, though? You're coming across as a bully. But you know I'm upset. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, don't you dare start. Don't you dare. What is it, Matt? Give us the shit yeah, storm. Yeah, please. It's a shit it storm fast. about to hear. Well... The government has confiscated my firstborn child for eight hours <laughs> a day. Oh, you mean, public you mean school. she's in? Gotcha. You mean she's in kindergarten? Yeah, also known as kindergarten. <laughs> there's a, apparently there's a mandatory thing where the government demands custody of my kid for seven hours, and there's nothing mm. I can do about that, really. Um, you could homeschool, but you don't love your child enough. No, because you think education is so bad for her, right? And it's just babysitting. Yeah. But hey, go ahead, yeah. Matt. Tell us double the, standard. I, I don't even know. No, you don't even know what you're talking about. It, it, the worst, the worst possible thing is if she were to like like it. Well, she got in trouble the first day, so <laughs> that didn't work. How bad in trouble did she get? What she do? Oh, well, the teacher said that they just had behavior problems. <laughs> she had what? She didn't. She didn't listen very well on day one. We got talked oh, to after surprise, the first surprise. day of kindergarten. So. Surprise, surprise. The teachers are going to have a, te- uh, a conference with bad. Matt, and they're going to say, well, I mean, your daughter kind of sweared at me and 
you know, just wouldn't stop talking and said, I'm not going to listen to you. And Matt's going to giggle. He's going to (laughs) go. You get him, Georgia. You get him. I think we'll get it under control. And I think she'll be okay for, you know, the next few years. I think she'll, I hope, I mean, I really don't know, but you know, in in any case, I just, no matter what, it strikes me as odd, like that nobody thinks it's a little more crazy to just, you you have to turn them over there and do it to the, you know, just turn your kids over to school because it's the law. That's, I don't know. But I'm optimistic about it. I've done. I want everybody to know. I just. I do want to clear the air with people and let them know her teacher's super sweet. I couldn't imagine a better kindergarten teacher to have. Wow. Um, and you know, we're just. I'm not worried. Like again, and this is where you're wrong about the other thing, Joey. The education and the achievement is the least concern I have in the world. I don't care if she skips a grade or gets held back. I, none of that stuff matters to me. I want her to go to the public school. First of all, let me say it the other way. This badass because I'm finally cashing in on all that money I paid into the taxes, and it's that's badass daycare. So that's first true. of all, right. I would never pay for private school at, ever, and no matter how much money I because I want this free stuff that I paid into yeah. the government. I feel bad for people that don't have kids, of course, because it's really expensive. But at least I get it for my kids, so I intend to take that first of all, and secondly, what school is like is kind of what the world is like. It's bad, and so get used to it. So I think it's the most important thing she could do is go to public school. I affirm it. I acknowledge it. I will try to stay out of my way. I'll say it right here on the podcast. I will do everything I can to not make it about me and allow her to have the experience that she has at school. That's I understand that. I understand the danger of me being Praise negative God. about all that. But whatever. But she's out. She's off and running. You know, there we Matt's go. one of the only parents in the history of the world that when their kids start school, he says, I'm going to really try hard not to make this about me. It, I know, but you don't understand. <laughs> I mean, to me, it feels like I'm back in school again. I had to get up early. I have to go there. I feel like I'm going to be in trouble. And when I walk near a school, I feel in trouble. I feel like I'm in trouble now. That's what I feel like <laughs> when I get near a school. When I talk you to actually t- need counseling, I think, from your <laughs> school days. I mean, I actually that, think that'd be helpful. I, I just, I just, I'm uncomfortable with it. I don't like it. I mean, I think it's like, ugh, what a weird place to be. Is the way I feel about it. But you know, social environment be good. She'll figure it out. She'll learn how to get by in the world, and that's what we're there for. All right, enough of you. Can I talk about my life Go for, for a minute? Mm-hmm. Okay, few quick things here. One, my dog is is yelping right now because my wife just got home. Like looking and for a you, good restaurant with no, four she's stars. In it. She, she's yeah, yeah, she says yeah, exactly. That Yelp <laughs> word, man, they appropriated <laughs> that word, didn't they? Uh, but one quick thing is, I believe so many people on Earth think that animals have been abused. But my dog, we got her at five weeks old, and she yelps like it, I mean. Just in her crate, our neighbors would have to think we are murdering her just mm-hmm. because she heard my wife come in the door. She's screaming like bloody murder, the highest pitch. You might have even heard it. I don't know if you can hear it, but it was throwing me off my game right now because I'm like, my dog is screaming so loud. And you might would think she's been abused. She hasn't. I think a lot of people think that animals have been abused because it it gives you this story to go along with the animal. But a lot of animals are just loud and yelpy and screaming. I mean, I think that's kind of normal. Of course, animals are abused a lot. Not no, no argument there. Animals are abused, but <laughs> that's pretty. Funny. But but everybody all. I mean, I you. It's it's all over Facebook. This animal is deaf. Look at it. Look at the way this animal is. It was abused. I'm like, well, I mean, my dog was not abusing. You would think it was if right, you wanted to go that way. That's just kind of crazy. It's animals just our natural this, inclination. Yeah, they have this the damnedest thing where when some, they perceive something as dangerous, they react. I know. You know, when they don't understand your social norms, <laughs> or, or which like they always want to be near in, you, or in accusing the previous owner of yeah. abuse. It's right. hilarious. Or, or like, yeah, oh, sure, the previous dog- owner beat him. Why? Because right. he got scared when a menacing figure walked in the room with a stick. 
Right. So, or, uh, uh, or this, oh man, look, this dog, it needs so much love. It's just always cuddling up to me because, no, because how bad be, it was abused. Yeah, it likes its belly rub. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's easy to think how terrible people are. Two, um, I was talking to my dad this week and it was, it was funny because I don't know how, when, when y'all talk to your, your, well, Joey, you live in the same town, but Joey, when you talk to your dad, is it, a, I mean, Matt, when you talk to your dad, is it a, is it a long call? Mine, it's no. kind of crazy. My, my calls are always like, 50 minutes at least. No and it's way. mostly my dad just talking nonstop because he lives alone. My mom, the same way. Both of them, I, we don't talk every, we talk maybe once a month. And so we get it all out there, but it's mostly just me listening to him. But I was telling him, <laughs> you know, he doesn't really listen. And then when I tell him stuff, he's shocked by my life that it, it, it would be like that. <laughs> so I was like, he said, well, what have you been up to? You've been uh, doing any of those uh, men things where people give you money, sit in the, their living room? I was like, <laughs> what he said? I was like, yeah, I was like that. I said, I said, you mean, I, I, I was a little defense. I was like, you mean the true man experience I created? Uh, yeah, dad, I am planning one of those right now. He, <laughs> said, oh. he said, he said, you get guys to, I mean, where are you going in all these places? And I am. You can go to truemanexperience.com. I'm going down the East Coast, uh, Charlotte and coming to Charleston, tra- tra- coming to Charleston, Florida, uh, Atlanta and Chattanooga um, in October. So, so you're uh, serious. That's what he said. You, you gotta- yeah, yeah. Like not not. <laughs> Toby, do you like this? Why are you, why did you create? I know no, your no, dad loves you, but yeah. I am sure there when he first heard about True Man, I guarantee you is like that son of a bitch. Like, I know, just what thinks, is he doing? And how is he making sh- money like, from that? I mean, it, my life is completely shocking. He's like, wait a minute, you wrote a song and people paid for it, and you do a <laughs> podcast. All you do is talk, and people <laughs> you get ads, and people do in the BC club, and you, now you're doing this True Man thing. It's what in the world? I have to admit a little bit. It is kind of cool. My life is really awesome. But anyway, so True Man, it, I, I tried to explain it to him. Hey, listen, these, you know these dudes are real, and they're just guys. I said I, I tried to even tell him like him, like Dad, you don't talk to anybody, and you should. I said it would be really <laughs> you good. It'd be it. really good. You I'm the only to me person. For an hour. I know you're the. I'm the only person that listens to you, and you say some <laughs> That's things that are out hour. there. I mean, my dad says some really crazy things that are out there. He would really benefit from sitting in a room with guys and, and you know eating a hamburger and just letting it hang out a little bit, just mm. talk, hang out with the guys, and just do that anyway because it's a real night and you can be real. And it, it, that's the craziest thing. If my dad was in that room and he would allow himself to be real, it would be beneficial because you can be at a true man experience. You can be really raw and say some wrong things, and it's okay because everybody's like, oh. I've been there, or hey, well, here's how you're seeing it wrong. It's, it's you know, it's a cool experience, but my dad would benefit from that anyway. Uh, moving on, then I told him, I was like, well, I'm gonna try lift. I'm gonna I'm gonna lift like uh, you know. He said, what lift? What is that? And I said, you know, it's where you use your car and you you pick people up. I said, have you ever heard of Uber or Lyft? He's like, oh, okay, now I understand what you're talking. He said. I wouldn't do that. You, you're going to get murdered. Gonna, <laughs> you, don't, you don't know who you're going to pick up, Toby. I just, I heard a story. It was up there in New York, and uh, uh, Lyft driver immediately was robbed. Next person, I think they were they were killed or taken out into the woods somewhere and barely got away. They said, I would not do that at all. And I was like, come on. I said, all my friends lift. I mean, it's just, you know, just, it's fine. And I said, you're wrong. It's going to be okay. So I have been lifting. I don't even know if I told you all this or not because we're, uh, my kids don't know yet, but we are going to take them to Disney World. And uh, so I'm like, man, it would be very beneficial to make a little bit extra money because Emery's new records we, is coming out, and we're kind of taking a little bit of break from touring and riding. So it was a good time for me to just try and make a little extra money on the side with Lyft. And so um, I went out, I guess it was last weekend or whatever, and did my first ride. My first ride was this guy named uh, John, and he was just a really nice guy. Just took him uh, – 
it was a short ride, two miles or whatever. And I was like, okay, that was my first one. See, I was like, that wasn't bad at all. No big deal. And then uh, the next name comes up and it's like, uh, I, I won't use the real names, but it was like Sandy. And uh, I clicked it and it's like, okay, here we go. And um, we, I drove out and it was to a place in Franklin where I didn't really know. And when I pulled, I saw, as I was driving down this road, I got to this just two lane road kind of out a little ways uh, from where I live in Franklin. And uh, as I was driving, by, I saw this lady walking by me. I was like, that can't be her. It says down here. So I kept driving. This is my second ride ever. And I, I pull up and I pull up to the William Williamson County uh, correctional facility, the jail in Williamson County. Wow. That was my second ride ever. Somebody getting this, out of the pen. There, yeah. So there's a lady standing there. She hops in the car. She says, I'm sorry. My sister, she just got out. Um, she says she has to have a cigarette. So she just took <laughs> off walking. And I was like, oh my God. So uh, I, I had to get her sister hops in the car and I, I grab, uh, we go follow her and finally i'm like hey will you get in the car i'll you know if i see a gas station we'll i'll stop for you um so we get in the car and we have to drive all the way from franklin to murfreesboro mm-hmm. and so which is about for those of you who don't know probably 35 minutes at least away you know so i'm in the car this lady just got out of jail i promise you she was drunk I promise you, she was drunk high or something. It was unbelievable. She was slurring. I mean, she just got out of jail minutes ago. I was like, how in the world is this possible? Um, And we were riding, and it was the craziest thing in the world. She starts saying, uh, she she just starts going, I'm going to murder him. I'm going to murder him. (laughs) I was like, what is she talking about? And and, And your dad's words rang in your brain at that point? I I was like, my dad was right. (laughs) Out of of everything in life, this is the thing he was writing about. And I kind of started getting a little nervous uh, because it was kind of evening. And I was like, "What, what is this? I did just pick this lady up, and she's crazy. She's drunk, high or something, and crazy. And she starts saying, Kyle. She said that uh, she they were going back and forth, and, and then they started including me. They were like, I'm so sorry, but you don't understand. Kyle, while I was in, he stole my car. Kyle stole <laughs> my car while I was in jail. I couldn't uh, – uh, can't get. I, and so she called him while she got. She said, "Kyle, you better give me my car back. You don't know what you messed with. You don't understand." And she hung up the phone. She's like, "I'm gonna murder him. I'm gonna kill him." She she said this. She said, "I'm gonna eat his children for breakfast. I'm gonna eat his wife for dinner." She's saying all this <laughs> stuff. I'm gonna kill him. He doesn't know who he messed with. He picked the. And then she started saying crazy things that I won't even go into, like real bad stuff that In I don't realm? even want to. Re- huh? In what realm uh, to not go into? Uh, sexual, racial, all kinds of stuff okay. like that. It, it was real bad, and I was like, "Uh," I, I said, I, "I said, I don't, I, I, I didn't know what to say." She's cussing and saying stuff. I was like, "I was just driving in my car, a <laughs> family car." I was like, I, "I said, I don't think you should do that." <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what else to say. I was like, "I don't," I said, "You know, you just got out. I don't think you should try to, you know, go after him or anything like that." Anyway, so we're riding, and she keeps, I mean, just unbelievable it was just the worst and so uh she gets out uh we we get make it over to murfreesboro and she says sir please can we just stop at the a gas station so i can get a pack of cigarettes i said sure we're only about a mile from your house um if you don't mind just hop out and grab the cigarettes whatever and so we stop in this gas station uh she gets out goes in and gets the cigarette comes out and starts to like pulls one out to start smoking. I was like, Hey, look, look, I can't wait here for you. Can we just this one mile away? Just hop in the car. We'll drive to your house. We, she hops in the car. She says, okay. She hops in the car. We, I back out. I go, uh, turn around to drive through the pumps. And I promise you, she goes, Kyle, 
Kyle is sitting in the parking lot in her stolen car at the gas station. (laughs) Kyle is there. So she says, stop, stop. And she jumps out of the car, races towards the car. Kyle sees her and pulls his ass out of the parking lot, takes (laughs) off, and she's on the road again running towards him. So for, for, as soon as I met her, she was walking to get cigarettes. Now she's chasing after Kyle. And I was like, I can't believe I heard this for 35 minutes unreal. about Kyle. And I just met him. I just met Kyle. That's him right there. And so finally, uh, Small I, world, had, isn't it? I, follow her, I follow her down the road. Uh, I don't know how far, but good ways. I say, hey, will you mind getting back in the car? I'll take you to your house. So she gets back in the car. I take her to her house. And her sister's like, I'm so sorry. It's just, you know, her sister gave me a little bit of the story. And it, it, it was actually pretty sad. But I could not believe after everything, hearing about Kyle for 40 minutes, I met him. I saw him. I know what he looks like and everything in her car. He was with somebody else. It was so funny because, like, he saw when he, he must have been he like, think? holy shit. He, there she he was like, I'm in this car, you know, and then all of a sudden, he, he, Kyle swore she was in jail. And all of a sudden, she's standing there chasing after him in the car. It was oh unbelievable. I was like, that was my second drive ever. I was like, I'm never going to share this story with my dad. I will never, Tommy Morell will never, ever hear that story. I'm not going to do it because he would, he would, I won't give him the satisfaction. What would you have done? Maybe I'll give him that for his birthday or something. Yeah, Maybe because he would be so let, happy. Play in this Father's Day, I'm going to give that to my dad. Dad, yeah. you were right. Listen to this story. It would make him so happy. I knew it, Toby. I knew it. <laughs> what would you have done if she got back in the car with you and said, "Go, get go <laughs> I thought. I thought that for a minute. That's why I kind of went slow so Kyle could get away. <laughs> I guess I was aiding him in a way. But I was like, I can't go r- racing through on a high speed car chase with Kyle. I just can't do it. So anyway, that was my second uh, lift experience completely. So that is amazing. That is yeah. so funny. <laughs> I know it's just crazy. I couldn't believe that was the second one. Other than that, though, it's been. I mean, and here's the thing: I wouldn't trade that for the world. And in the moment, in the moment, I was like, "Man, this is kind of scary." And then when I realized no she wasn't going to murder me, I was like, "I'm so happy she's in the car. This is the greatest thing." No I mean, doubt. I almost would pay them uh, just to be here to see this. What this lady said. I mean, she. Oh, let me tell you this. I even forgot this part. She said, this is, no, I guess I can't say this. Uh, I, I better not say this. Never mind, scratch, scratch. I'll tell you all fair. <laughs> well, I'll I agree with you this. about the story thing. Like, there's so many things that it's like, man, I'm going to have a good story one way or the other here, so I'll take it. Like, there's so many things yeah. that are bad in the moment that over time you go, well, I guess I'm overall glad it happened. That's, I yeah. mean, I, that's like the best stuff. I had two of them recently. I'll spare the stories, but remind me, I have two since I talked to y'all last of things just like that, and I will spare them because, uh, that you had that thing run in with the people at the penitentiary there, and Joey told me he had a run in with the law himself, which I'm anxious to hear about. <laughs> so I won't cloud it with more of my stories. <laughs> well, my uh, my grandma passed away, and uh, so super sad, kind of, unexpected. But then when you're 93, is anything unexpected? Is death unexpected? I mean, you know it's going to happen. Uh, but I'm about to start service on Sunday morning. My dad comes up to me and he's he's got tears in his eyes. He says, "My hey, my, uh, mom's gone." I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" So. I'm thinking to myself, okay, do I be a hero? And I mean, I'm, I don't, I don't even have to preach the sermon. Uh, I, you know, that messes with you. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. So, um, Grandma lives literally a half a mile down the road. And uh, uh, fast forward a little bit, I, uh, I call Priscilla to tell her. So she's shortly behind me. When she walks into the living room, Rosa's sitting on the couch. She says, 
hey mom uh dad got really mad at the police officer <laughs> priscilla's what? like what priscilla's so coming what... to be with the family and the first thing she hears is you got mad at a police officer right right <laughs> she's like what in the world so here he, here's what it boils down to is this officer had just the most horrible communication skills um i walk in and to where? Uh, so first you walked into what was, i walked into my grandma's house she she died in her bed uh-huh so I walk in, and my uncle had stopped by there because he kept calling her, and she wouldn't answer. So he's just like, "Well, I'll just I'll just check on her." And that's when he went back to her bedroom and and saw her there. And so uh, he can I clarify called, something? I don't totally yeah. understand. Did yeah, you yeah. go because she was still in the house? No, 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 no. My dad came up to me before the service started and said, "Mom is gone." Yeah. So but I, why did I you go to the meant. house? Everybody just went to be like be with. Family. I wanted to be with family. Okay. And, okay. and I and I was. I thought you were so, going like logistically to start. Taking care of the body or something. Oh, I thought you said to start messing with a cop. No, 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 no. To like, I thought you had to go to help move your grandma's body or something. Gotcha. No, 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 no. The uh, morgue does that and all that. So I go, I go in the house, and what had happened is Uncle Victor had called the nine one one. So if you uh, uh, apparently if you call nine one one and a cop comes, that's a totally different situation than like calling hospice or. Uh, you know, calling the funeral home or something like that. Yeah, but I'd he's really bad. Yeah, he's really bad at communicating. So I go into the room, and I'm telling you, it was the biggest blessing that I did leave services to to see her peacefully in bed and to know that's where she passed. I mean, it was it was a beautiful sight, and that sounds cheesy, but it really was. So I go in there, and my dad and his little brother and my mom had been in there probably for like five minutes, and I come in there, and I'm, you know, I'm just kind of in awe. My grandma, who I've, you know, known my whole life, and she's in there just, you know, it's just a very epic scene, and almost immediately, or so my my mom and my uncle and my dad, they, they're kind of leaving the room, and I'm thinking, okay, I, I get a second here uh, with my grandma, and the police immediately starts shooing me out of the room, and I I looked at him like he was crazy, and then I was just like, okay, and I walked out, and I'm telling you, I, I don't know what it was, what do you mean but by shooing I just you? That was up. basically just like, okay, okay, go, go ahead yep, and get out yep, of here. Yep. I was like, what? And so he had mentioned uh, while we were all in the room, he had mentioned something about. Uh, is the morgue? Am, am I saying that correct? The mortician or whatever mm-hmm. they were going to come and, corner, and I don't know what. Yeah, yeah, corner. They're going to come and, and take the body and all that stuff. So I can't. Pro- and, and I asked my mom and dad this, and they agreed. I cannot process process the information any other way than get out of this room. You're done, and the coroner's coming to get your grandma. And so I go into the li- living room, and I'm seriously. Out of respect for my parents, I'm bleeping out. I'm I'm doing self bleep of the f word. I was like, "Can anyone tell me why the officer is being such a fucking asshole right now?" And I'm like choking up. I was just like, "What is wrong with it?" And and I just stopped. And I like, to, I mean, I, I it was like an out of body experience. I was so upset. So I walk out into uh you know into another room, kind You're of away from this the point situation. Just because he had shooed you out of the room and you wanted to mend yeah, it, yeah, and yeah, it was just very, disrespectful and all that, very right? callously mm-hmm. shooing and. and and I'm thinking, you don't, you don't belong here. Like, right. what, what well, are you even I, doing? I'm, I still Shut don't up. understand why he's there yet. Right. Personally. Right. So, yeah, and I'll, I'll explain that later. So, I'm just, I'm fuming, and I, and I literally have like an effort, uh, I, mentality. I crossed the line. I was just like, I, I don't care. I, I'm going back in there. And so, by the time I went back, <laughs> the cop had left the bedroom, and he's talking to uh, my folks. And so, I'm standing there, and I'm waiting for him. 
uh, and I must have sounded so stupid because I was so angry, but I'm waiting for him to stop. When he finally stops, I mean, I point a finger at him and I said, let me ask you something. <laughs> I said, I know. do you know who that is in there? <laughs> I was like, that's my grandma. Do you know she's dead? Did you know that? She's dead? And I was like, and you're going to ask me to leave her bedroom? I was like, what is wrong with you? Like, what, what is your problem right now that you would have the audacity to, sir, sir, you got to understand that I got a job. I was like, yeah, your job is to tell family members to leave the room. I was like, well, what? And so he still hasn't communicated clearly. Like, he's so horrible. So I leave the room because I'm so pissed off. And then I actually hear, you know, my dad, he's super, super laid back, but he sees his son who's an absolute mess. And so he feels like, man, I got to figure this out. I got to get my sons back. And so, you know, sweet Virgil Svensson says, so what is this officer? You asked my son uh, to, to leave the room. What's going on in there? And I was just like, I don't care what the officer says. I'm going to go back in there and answer for my dad. I go in there. I was like, that's exactly what he did, dad. He told me to leave the room. That's my grandpa. I mean, my grandma. And so he, uh, uh, so he starts to explain that, uh, that basically he has to handle it like a potential crime scene. Right. Uh, because 911 was called, he I has see. to confirm that there was no foul play or anything like that. And uh, like you could have been tampering with I, evidence. Yeah. And I honestly, I think before, before I really lost my cool too, as I asked Rosa, she's in middle school. This is like something that I didn't want to assume for her. I said, Do you want to see your, gra- your great grandma? And she said, Yes. So that's, I, I think I missed that part too. That's when I really lost control is because I took her in there and then I, I thought for sure, I was like, nah, he probably realized his mistake when he shooed me out. But he literally, as I was walking in there with Rosa, I mean, he basically met us with, you. no, 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 you can't come in here. Nope, nope. And I, and I, I mean, it was just unbelievable. And now, I mean, here's the thing. And I, I, I went up to him and I said, hey, man, you know, this uh, after it was all said and done, I said, I'm sorry that I lost my cool. I was like, but you need to understand that you should probably communicate to the family that, hey, it's te- this room is temporarily on lockdown. You will have your time to come in here and take as long as you want. I said, you led me to believe that we were not allowed in that room and the coroners are going to take her away. And um and then Priscilla really, really made fun of me for this. Like, I started my apology in front of everybody. I started and I, I um, addressed him as young man. <laughs> she immediately That's was hilarious. just like, young man. I was just like, well, I mean, he's in his mid-20s. I can't call him a young man. I mean... I, haven't we earned that? We're in our yeah, early ready. 40s. Can't I, we call I haven't ever officers? used that on a younger man before, but I intend to this week. Uh, I loved it. That. I loved it because I was just like, I'm the one kind of teaching him. You know, he's Love new it. at his job. I'm not a police officer. He knows, he, he kind of knows what he's doing, but he has a lot to learn. So I said, young man, I really do appreciate your services. I know that you're in some tough situations and everything, but oh, Priscilla spoiled it, man. She she called me out on it, but I'm going to I'm gonna keep that up. But that yeah, was it was... Uh, I mean, yeah, it, it was it was crazy. I mean, my mom at one point I think was concerned. Like she was just like Joey, please, please calm down. And and she was just like Joey. Like she took me to the side. She's just like your dad and uncle do not need you know any sort of um, yeah. ammunition or, or they don't need to be brought into this. So I, I did. I felt bad from from the perspective of 
bringing in a lot of tension to an already super emotional situation. But I, when I look back on it, I, I don't know if I could have handled it any other way with how I perceived the situation. It was just like no person is no person who's never been in this house before, mm-hmm. you know, who I spent my whole childhood visiting. You're not going to come in here and tell me that I can't spend some time with my deceased grandma. You're just not going to do that. But but you're like the you were acting like the drunk redneck at the at the, yeah. at the family thing. You know what I mean? Like that like that's really funny. Like you were everybody thought you were out of control. Like yeah. you were losing your mind. Yeah. That's yeah. cool that I, I want I don't know if you think I was out of control. I mean I was literally out of control. I, I couldn't I Do just couldn't stop. You think that's cool for your kids to see that? I think so. I, I think so. Think so yeah. And and because when I I actually I mean it's one of those, you know, those time. There's certain things that you'll always remember about your dad or your mom. Like there's yeah. these certain moments of time where, like, I remember. I'll never forget. My dad is super chill, and I'll never forget the time he took my brother outside, and I was out there, and I heard it. He said, "If you ever talk to your mom like that again, I will slap the shit out of you." I'll never wow. forget that. I'll never forget my. I was like, "Oh my gosh, my dad who." thinks cussing is a sin, just told his son that he's going to slap the shit. I mean, I just could not. That's mm-hmm. something that sticks out in your mind. Then there's a lot of sweet moments and all that stuff. But when I left that room after going on my tirade, I sat on the couch and Rosa and Waylon were in that room and I was sobbing. <laughs> like I just put my hands over my my face and I just started crying. I was like, they're never going to forget that <laughs> like my yeah, dad just won't. chewed out the policeman and now i'm seeing you know because oh. i don't think kids really see their parents cry you know a whole lot but yeah i agree i think it was great for them to see that and and honestly and i don't see it necessarily as uh you know and this isn't like i don't have any reason to um defend myself but i don't i don't see it as like a hundred percent flawed character either like if if I did make a right. huge mistake, then I think, yeah, that would be healthy. But I think it was healthy because she saw me in a place of being vulnerable, mm-hmm. losing my cool. Mm-hmm. But then also, hell yeah, my dad is not going to stand up for this. Yep. Like he thought that we were being kicked out of that room and he was just when like, he no. Thinks you know, so I think really wrong, he will stand up and you'll do his thing. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I, th- I, yeah. I agree with that. I like, like to see people. Okay. I mean, you don't, I don't even think it's pleasant as a kid to see a super, you know, makes you anxious in the moment. But I think it's I think it's kind of instructive to some degree. Yeah, yeah. When, when when it was over, William walked up to you, to Joey and said, "Dad, when you die, I'm going to fight a cop too." Mm-hmm. <laughs> he goes, "I message received. Don't respect yeah. cops." Yep, yeah. I'm going to fight a cop too, like my dad. I'll resist <laughs> no matter what. I too y'all, will y'all, resist law enforcement should they y'all, pursue me. Y'all listen to this. We we give uh, senior citizens a lot of hell. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tell y'all something really funny. It is really crazy going through like all your grandma stuff. You know, obviously my dad and his brother are doing most of it, but I'm helping out a little bit. Oh, but I will say, Matt, you had said a long time ago how our people in their 40s. How did you word it? Like when we need to take over for our parents at an earlier age? How did, yes. Well, well I'm just saying, saying I usually try to deconstruct what the biases are, and everybody yeah. tends to have the one, same one, usually, if you zoom out and look at it. And this one is one of those examples. It's People are typically too late in taking power and control from old people. 
it happens yeah. inevitably, and the pressure is just so against doing it proactively and early for so many reasons, but it's usually too late when power of attorney is granted or the bank accounts are thing, or they even just fundamentally that point when you're in your forties and mature and the older person has gone past the window where they actually need to start respecting you as like leadership right. of the family. That moment often happens too late is my right. Well, I, I'm telling you, I cannot agree more. Like it was unbelievable. My dad was just like, well, let's go ahead and get some things to, and my, my dad, a brilliant guy, civil engineer, smart. I mean, mathematician, whatever, super, He's a smart guy, but I could not believe this. Like he says, well, let's go ahead and start doing some things. Let's find some important, important papers and stuff. He and my uncle go in there and they start looking like on the top of her desk and end table and like <laughs> random. I was like, what in the hell are you guys doing? And so I go straight to the closet where there's a fireproof box at my feet and I pick it up and I open it up. I was like, here's the freaking will. I was like, what are y'all doing? Like, I was actually super nice because I know that they were emo- you know, yeah, emotional. Yeah, they just yeah. lost their mom and everything. But I was like, I cannot believe they're looking on her desk. Like, what are they even thinking? And I went right to the box. I didn't know where it was. I mean, it wasn't like grandma said, hey, you know, when I die, here's all my stuff. But I, I just I could not believe. But li- listen to this. So my grandma, uh, she told she told her son. She said, "Hey, when I turn ninety, that's when I'll stop driving." Well, she died. <laughs> she was ninety three, and she never stopped driving. But listen to this. We actually found uh, they they looked at her driver's license, and uh, sh- we th- we thought that maybe she didn't have to get her license renewed since she's been ninety. But she sure as hell did. For a she did. She did not call my dad or uh, my uncle, but she actually drove, and she would have had to have driven downtown Charleston, which is a horrible place, but she right. literally drove herself so she wouldn't have to ask my dad for a ride because my dad would have said, no, you're not getting your license right. renewed. So she's like, screw them. I'm going to do it, and I'm not going to tell them. <laughs> that is so funny. Uh, I mean, man. she could have just not renewed it. <laughs> Wouldn't, yeah. She wouldn't have gotten in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Who, what 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 would they have done to a ninety two year old? Yeah, my she'd grandma totally got pulled fine. over one time, and she'd never had a ticket in her life, and she was about eighty something, and she, you know, Mimi was real sharp and strong and all that. Yeah. And she said, "Tell the," she got pulled over in some speed trap or whatever in her in StarTex right there in her town. Yeah, and the the guy said, uh, "Ma'am." Do you, you have you ever had a speeding ticket before? She said, No, I have not, and I don't intend to get one right now. She, <laughs> she didn't get one. <laughs> that is awesome. I, I am totally anti uh yeah, old old people driving. Old people, I mean, yeah, it's I just yeah, it's just not not. <laughs> well, not sorry about decision. your grandma, Joey. I, I uh sorry to hear about that. I appreciate it, man. And for I clarity, that's not the grandma that we often talk about that you said you already said your goodbyes to. Not even the same. Right. One. So. Right, I wouldn't even if Mama Jean died, I'd be like, oh, okay. So for the Back record, you currently already said bye. Yeah, from, so from your current <laughs> point of view, you have no grandparents, no grandmas. Left. <laughs> exactly. That's crazy though. Like I can't. I, I mean, don't know. I don't. I I don't know what my reaction is going to be to Mama Jean. I don't think I will be as sad as. And I would say I was probably a little closer to Mama Jean than I was to Grandma Ethel. But I don't think I will be as sad with with Grand uh, with what I experienced this past weekend because. I have I have been visiting grandma. They're, the kids are super close to her. I don't see Mama Jean, but maybe once every six months, and she doesn't know who I am. Right. So I don't know how I'm going to process that. I'll be sad, but I don't know it'll how bad it will be. It'll almost be like relief that she can, I mean, because her body's just, that's what I can't believe is like, I mean, she's been in mentally 
pretty bad shape for a long time now. Yeah. And her body's just so strong, she's just not dying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. that's, that's just crazy. All right, so we've got a very cool guest today. His name's Jamar Tisby. He's a great follow on Twitter, and he's a writer and a speaker and stuff like that. Toby, what's this book called you have it in front of you? The Color of Compromise. The Color of Compromise. We're going to have a combo with him about the... Uh, honestly, I'm kind of interested to talk about, in his view, that some of the differences in the white and the black church, and if they're, you know, that, that whole thing. So I think there's a whole bunch of interesting stuff to talk about, and uh, let's see if we can get Jamar on the podcast here. So you are listening to The Price of Agony by Fit for a King. This single is from the band's brand new album, Dark Skies, which is available everywhere right now. Fit for a King will also be touring throughout the fall in direct support of the Devil Wears Prada on their nationwide 10th anniversary tour of With Roots Above and Branches Below. Head over to iTunes now and pick up Dark Skies or go stream it on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere you stream your music also on spotify and apple music make sure to follow the fit for a king profile so you don't miss any news tour dates or future songs dark skies available everywhere right now go get it Well, Jamar, thanks for being here. Uh, I, you know, I just want to set the ground even and level here, try to get us on the same page, and then we can we can hopefully have some fun and learn some stuff. But we've been doing this podcast for like I don't know three years now, and we've had this really long journey from being just evangelical Christians to really deconstructing that to I don't even know what we are anymore, but not <laughs> that. And so one of the one of the things that set that off is realizing the the system. <laughs> Gosh, I don't even want to use any charged language here, but we've just seen the church time and time again fail, harm people, cover it up, not notice it, deny it, all that stuff. And it and it's it's not 
even always intentional, but we just noticed it happened to women in this church. It happened to abuse of power in this church and all this kind of stuff. And one thing that I don't have that much understanding of, but try to follow a few people of, is it seems like some of those same systems and mentalities have obviously had a big effect on black people and the black church. And there's, you know, a lot of your work goes in and out of uh, like the history of the black and the white church. And so, you know, it's it seems like we're on the same ground as as trying to criticize and, and make people realize what's going on and, and realize it for ourselves. But is that been that's is that are we on the right track there? You're absolutely right. I think a okay. lot of people right now are experiencing a sense of disillusionment and distance from the church they grew up in, particularly if it's like a theologically conservative evangelical setting. White people are going through that. Black people are going through that. Young people, women, it's kind of hitting all different demographics. And so uh, we're, we're tracking right there. And my particular angle is to look at the history of it all. One, one, mm-hmm. thing, one thing that historians always say is everything has a history. So yep. no phenomenon that we're experiencing now just popped up out of nowhere. And it's been really interesting and challenging and anger-inducing to kind of learn that, that history as well. Yeah. And it's been real difficult to push back without sounding like you're just trying to be part of the people that want to hurt everybody and tear down everything and be a mob. And, you know, that's not really our scene, but to really talk about what it really is and and learn about it and and speak critically and clearly is is just seems like it's always worth doing. And I don't find that to be negative or destructive. It's just what you got to do. Well, you know, James Baldwin said something like, I'm paraphrasing here, but I love America. And that gives mm-hmm. me the reason to critique her so relentlessly. And then we can see in, um, in the New Testament where it says, speaking the truth in love. And the purpose of that whole thing about speaking the truth in love is to build up the body. It's for health and growth. It's like going to a doctor. You don't want the doctor to sugarcoat it. If you've got a terminal disease or something that might kill you, you want her mm-hmm. to tell you the truth so that you can treat it aggressively and with the right remedies. And that's that's what I see, I hope, myself doing imperfectly. But that hurt that hurts. <laughs> that's, I don't think people like it, do they? Because when, when you oh, say something no. like that, they're like, oh, what it, it ain't that bad, is it? Just let it ride. <laughs> no, it's not that bad. It's worse than you thought. <laughs> You're, right. You're exactly right. So how about the black? I mean, is it appropriate to say that there's a such thing as the black church? I'd have to even say from my point of view, but what, why is there a black church and a white church anyway? Or is there in your view? Yeah, that's a great question. And this strikes the ears kind of harshly, but the tr- truth from a historical standpoint is there would be no black church without racism in the white church. Wow. That's so true. Mm. So there's a long history of that. One of the best examples is the founding of the African Methodist Episcopal Church, which even if you unpack that name, right, there's already a Methodist Episcopal Church. Mm -hmm. Why does there have to be an African Methodist Episcopal Church? Well, Richard Allen, who became one of the bishops of the AME Church, um, this is back in the 1770s, 1780s, he and his friend Absalom Jones had been longtime members of a Methodist church in Philadelphia. In fact, uh, Reverend Allen's preaching was so good that the congregation increased by the hundreds because black people were coming to hear Reverend Allen's, Allen preach. Uh, Well, they got done one—this is a predominantly white church. They got done with a building campaign at one point, which black people helped raise money for, helped construct. And uh, they went in at one of the first services after after the the construction project was complete, and they went to their old spots. What they didn't know is that the white 
uh, leaders of the church had determined that black people couldn't be there anymore, segregated seating, right? Mm -hmm. And so literally, while there's a prayer going on, Absalom Jones and Bishop Allen, they're on their knees, a white trustee of the church comes up and basically drags them off their knees. And at that point, uh, Bishop Allen writes in his memoirs, he says, we were done. And they literally go down the street and start their own church, which yeah, becomes yeah. Mother Bethel, uh, which is still in Philadelphia today. And so that's just one example of the racism present in predominantly white churches where black people already were listening to the same gospel preached, but then that racism pushed them out. So it's not like, and I think this is true even today, it's not like black people left white churches. We were evicted. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. No, I mean you, you that, and that's pretty obvious to think. If you say, go, think about a white rural church now. Okay, now think about <laughs> it in, in eighteen hundred, you know, or you know, in whatever it is, you know, eighteen eighty or nineteen ten or whatever. Not a good place, you know. Obviously, it, you know how people are selective about their churches now. Imagine how many of your needs that would not meet. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yep, the, yeah. the the interesting thing about that too, though, is like here we are in 2018, and and given this this may sound really naive, but uh, I'm in Charleston, so we, um, mm. it, you know, the the Charleston Nine, and uh, we went to a service that uh, I think that celebrated their lives a year after the shooting, and so obviously it's a group of white folks that are visiting this church. Um, you know, and it's, it's more of a, a festive environment and everything, but there's no, there's no animosity from blacks to whites, from whites to blacks. When black people come to, uh, the church that I pastor, if anything, we're like, yes, that's awesome. We want yeah. more diversity. So it's like the current state, it doesn't seem like anybody's mad at anybody. <laughs> right, right, right. Yes. But, but, but we're just kind of stuck in the, I don't know if it's the cultural aspect of the church that we prefer or I, I, I just, I guess what I'm saying is I don't know how to, how, how do we fix this? I mean, is, is right. there anything that anybody can do? Because it, it doesn't seem like people are segregating themselves because they don't like the others. It's just, that's just the church. Yeah. Has it become to. commonplace to where all sides just go, well, this is just the way it is. Is everybody kind of yeah. complacent with it? You, you think, or to some extent, um, but can I tell a quick story? Charleston yes, story for sure. first. Oh, All right. So I was in Charleston uh, just a few months ago in February, and we did a historic pilgrimage. Me and my buddy Otis Pickett, who's also a historian, works at Mississippi College. And we took a group and just went around to the various uh, historical sites because at one point, Charleston was the biggest slave port on the, on the eastern mm -hmm. seaboard uh, for incoming slaves. Uh, on the last night of that pilgrimage, there was a uh, a banquet kind of a thing. And you may know about this, but there's an interracial group of people in Charleston that meets and they do a book club, basically, and it's deliberately designed for interracial dialogue. Well, we were there on this night. They had a wonderful Southern cooking and everything, but I was in line, long line, and just making conversation with the people next to me. Uh, one of them was a member of uh, Emmanuel. And she was talking to me, but she had a friend there who was just kind of quiet, shorter woman, uh, probably in her 60s. And uh, the woman who was talking to me finally said, do you know who this is standing next to me? And I said, no. And she said, this is Polly Shepard. And that name should ring a bell because when Dylan Roof killed nine people at the Bible study, he left a couple of them alive. 
And Polly Shepard was the woman who he came up to, who was in that room when he was God. killing people and said, um, did, I, did I shoot you? And she said, no. And he said, I'm not going to. I want you to tell people what I did. Mm. And this is the woman standing right next oh to me. My God. Wow. And I was Holy just God. speechless. All I did, I just yeah. gave her this big old hug. And it was this stark reminder that in a lot of senses, uh, for black people, simply existence is resistance. Right. Yeah. Just the very idea that she's alive is like a testimony and a witness. So that was just yeah. something when you said uh, Charles Gosh. and I just had to tell that story. Yeah, Man. it was, uh, you know, it was, I think, I'm pretty sure it's been two years now, maybe yeah. three, but it definitely made me proud to be a Charlestonian, which mm. is, is there's such mixed emotions. And yes. I, before, you, before you go, I've got to ask you a question about how plantations are celebrated and there's weddings oh, at them Lord. and all that stuff, because I'm super curious and it's just so many mixed emotions. But the mixed emotions was, here we are, like you just gave a historical snapshot of Charleston, so that's not something that we're proud of. And yet, when that happened... It, there was so much unity. It was just right. unbelievable. There and and there was no rioting. And the very victims' families were forgiving for crying. Yes. I mean, the, the stuff that they were saying to Dylan Roof, I was just like, I, I can't even take this. This is just unbelievable. You yeah. know, I mean, so it that 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 whole situation it was just devastating, and at the same time, I think highlighted some bright spots of Charleston. Well, if I can get back to uh, the first question you posed, because I think it ties in, you know, how does a city come together like this? But, you know, nobody's mad at each other kind of a thing. Are we still experiencing racism? What does it look like? Well, one of the things I frequently say is that racism never goes away. It just goes underground. So especially post-Civil War and post-Civil Rights era, what you're looking at are new and different forms of racism. Because think about it, if racism is a sin, what other sin have we completely eradicated from our society? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Good point. I mean, yeah. wrath is right. still there, you know, lust right. is still there. Yeah. Handled envy in about the in about nineteen forty five. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. It was I a long time. Right? Right. <laughs> so so we can Lust, count no more. <laughs> we can count on racism being there somewhere, right? So so <laughs> so what happens after the Civil War is Jim Crow comes along. And what's so interesting about Jim Crow, Jim Crow is before, especially in the South, you didn't have a huge spatial separation between whites and blacks. Actually, as, as Northerners came down to the South, they were shocked at the physical intimacy, obviously not romantic relationships, but the closeness right. of people. Yeah. Uh, because mm -hmm. you would have black women literally raising and suckling white children. You would have uh, black gardeners in your backyard. Uh, you would have, obviously, plantation in the farm. And, and a lot of times on the smaller farms, you'd be working side by side, uh, white and black uh, slave owner alongside slave. So people were shocked at the physical closeness of this, but after slavery, you don't have this institutionalized form of hierarchy. Mm -hmm. So how do you maintain your place of white supremacy? You invent Jim Crow. Uh, you invent segregation, basically, which says, and, and, and what strikes me is how absurd segregation becomes because there's no actual moral logic to it. Mm -hmm. It just it, it just spirals out of control. So for instance, in the town where I live, which is in the Delta, on the Arkansas side, but it's the Mississippi Delta, uh, there's segregated cemeteries. 
And that just mm-hmm. blows me away. Like, like, like yeah. step back from that. Yeah. Even dead bodies can't inhabit the same ground because of how we set up the racial hierarchy, right? Mm-hmm. It's integrated now, but still, these goes, this goes to the historic patterns we're talking about. Nobody's mad at each other, but racism is so much more than particular animosity towards someone else. It goes to our housing patterns. It goes to where we go to school. It goes to how we spend our money. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot to unpack there, but all I'm saying is um, it doesn't take personal animus towards someone of a different color to perpetuate and be complicit that's, that's in racism. That's so true because my, my grandma, sweet Southern woman in her 90s, and anytime she mentions someone black, she has to make sure we know it was a black like and, and and that that is a form of racism. Right. Now some sometimes some ugliness will come out because I, I'll never forget when she said, I just never thought we'd see the day when there would be a black president and it and it wasn't in a positive way, it was oh, in a wow. negative way. Yeah. So sometimes the ugly parts come out, but for the most part, it's just little things like there's just black man at my church and I he comes up and hugs me every every single Sunday and it's something she's super proud of. But that racism is still <laughs> evident just by the fact that that's a big deal to her. Yes. Well, yes. so is it good or okay or, or yeah, good that we have a black church and a white church? Then is it bad? I mean, I think it's I, that's I think, super confusing. In terms of in terms of the black church, it's a necessity, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So so I've been a member of several different predominantly white churches, and many Sundays I've been literally the only black person there, or my family has been the only black person there. So I know what it's like to be in that environment. And that's not even to mention college and the workplace and all these other places where you're a minority racially. Um, so when you're in that environment, no matter how friendly, no matter how wonderful your coworkers or your the fellow congregation members are, there's always these th- this um, sort of, uh, you're on, you feel on. Uh, you yeah. have your radar up for potential mm-hmm. offenses, and there are these subtle cues that tell you you're other. And so, you know, in a church setting, obviously there's the aesthetics like the music. You know, uh, I listened to the great interview y'all did with Lecrae, and he was talking about like, you know, in the black church, we don't do a whole lot of acoustic guitar. You yeah. know, <laughs> yeah. it's, just, it's just the way it is. Um, that's minor, though. It gets a little bit deeper. When you think about a sermon and, you know, do they quote George Whitfield or Jonathan Edwards positively without any qualification, even though yeah. both of those men were slave owners, right? Yeah. Or the, the even, even, you know, applications. Do you use a Seinfeld reference? Because for black people, that's not going to land really well, you right. know? Do you talk mm-hmm. about friends? I know these are 90s shows, but you get what right. I'm saying. Right. <laughs> um, and then it gets even deeper, right? Like, Politically, what are the subtle messages? One of the things that, that, that really got me thinking about politics in the church was I was walking out of church one day, and I saw someone with a bumper sticker for a local politician who was Republican. And I was like, you know what? That's not going to turn a single head at this church, but let that bumper sticker be blue and a Democrat, and right. you're going to get somebody grabbing you by the elbow saying, hey, brother, let me, let me, let me explain the gospel to you. Wow. That's so true. All right. So that's how those patterns look today. And it's very subtle, but in all of those ways, it indicates the church is not inclusive. The church is exclusive, racially and Mm -hmm. culturally speaking. And here's the thing we'll let anyone in as long as you become like us. 
That's right. right. That's right. the subtext. So that that's the thing they've been doing for so long now that's got to be misguided, where it's just like you get this super – and they do it with gay people too. Yeah. It's like, we want you here. It'll make us feel good and look good, but just be like us when you get here, and that'll be good. Because that, that's, right. that's probably good anyway for you just to be more like us. So that's really what we're <laughs> exactly asking. Or, or be a stereotype for it. Yeah, or be a stereotype that we like. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? That's it. And it's not fair for that's just not uh, that's just obviously not right. And they don't they would deny it and say it another way, but you can smell that. Right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh I mean, any minority of any kind, whether it's a racial or ethnic minority, a woman, whoever might be a minority in a particular situation can tell within minutes if this place is truly for them just based mm-hmm. on the interactions. Look, even the church location, right? If I got to drive across town and across the, the the city line into this suburb that's, you know, 80, 90 percent white already, look, I already know, you know, um, it, it sends a message anyway. And I'm not saying like folks in that situation are all racist. I'm just saying you're sending a message and it's a lot harder, I think, to become diverse or to pursue diversity than simply saying we're not racist or hugging mm-hmm. a person of a different color. It's, yeah. So it, I, I saw also where there um, was a New York Times article about, you know, it was called A Quiet Exodus and it was touching on the, you know, the idea are, are black people leaving the evangelical church? Because I would have thought they were making efforts to gain more black people because obviously right. they attempt to, but is that not working or backfiring? I saw you wrote an article about how the whole <laughs> thing feels like Exodus for y'all. Well, look. Uh, I don't think we can underestimate the impact of this particular administration and the 81% support uh, that white evangelicals who voted through behind this president. Um, A lot of what we're seeing in terms of a quiet exodus, which is a great article, just Google it, um, New York Times article, if you're listening. A lot of what that article is covering is the renewed sense of alienation that many minorities feel, uh, but also their allies. So I know a lot of white folks who are feeling very displaced right now. Um, But like I said, the issues of race in 2018 are much deeper than just, do I like someone who's different or not? Part of it's our politics, right? And I think white evangelicals who sort of held their nose and voted for this president are feeling really good right now because they got not one, but two Supreme Court picks. And Lord only knows, Mm -hmm. you know, we got some elderly folks on on the Supreme Court now. There could be even more. And so that's really troubling to me because what they're particularly concerned about, the typical, okay, typical white evangelical who voted uh, for this president, if they're concerned about the Supreme Court, they're concerned about mainly two issues, Roe v. Wade and religious liberty, which is mm-hmm. coded, you know, do I have to bake cakes for gay weddings? Right. And that's that's mm-hmm. like when they say religious freedom, they 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 pretend it's more expansive than that, but in function, it's Hobby Lobby, it's bakers, it's things like that. Well, mm-hmm. that's that's gonna be real troublesome because the other conservative items on the agenda are typically not friendly, not just toward black people, but toward the powerless and the disenfranchised of society. And that's something that I think uh, American Christianity has to probe really deeply. I've been really questioning too, like uh, 
it feels like there is a uh, an ignorance, and I, it's a little bit uh, uh, more seedy than it than just I'm just ignorant to the idea. And, and I'll even say this for me, like I when we were talking, just when you guys were talking, I just realized I was like. I have never thought of the term white church. I've always thought church and black church. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like yeah, I, right. I mean, I've never even thought that. And I was like, oh, I, and I'm just questioning even my own thoughts here. Like, why is that? Like, I, I mean, I've definitely been to some black churches before and really enjoyed it, but it was like almost like an event or I, yeah. I went and did something, not, oh, these are my brothers and sisters in Christ and we're doing this together or whatever. I mean, maybe sometimes that happened, but it was more like a, a special occasion where I was there or, you know, or the opposite of that. A, you a know, funeral. Yeah, we yeah. Went to, yeah. We went to Robbie's grandma's funeral and it was just the best thing ever. It, you was, know? it, was, it was my favorite funeral I've ever been to. But I, I don't, I don't but that's part of, but part of that is because I feel like I've, I've been ignorant to the whole thing. But I think people push back like, uh, like you were saying. First of all, I hate, all, I hate how much politics has influenced our church and so much so that it's like I'll forego even some of the teachings of Christ because this is my party. Like we, like, you know, we really do that. And you're right. I mean, I bet when, when, when you've been to white churches, everybody thought you were probably were the Democrat or, you know, like you probably get the label or something, you know, there's labels with everybody, but how do we, what, where do you, do you know, like what, what is the communication barrier or how do we explain you're not saying all evangelicals are racist and they hate black people and they don't want them in their church, but there is an underlying uh, sense of racism, whatever that might be, uh, That's right. that is there. How do we communicate that? Like, how do you communicate that even to me? Like, you're not saying, Toby, you're racist because you never thought of uh, white church or not, but there is something about me that I haven't been clear, uh, uh, working on or understanding. Right. How, how do we do that? The first thing is, I don't think we should ever underestimate the power of simple awareness. Um, so, so you know, your your realization that 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 you've ha- applied these labels in a particular way that's really important and a really good step. Um, sometimes and then admitting it, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, uh, admitting you have a problem is the first step right. to a solution. <laughs> and I'm not saying that that you have a problem. I'm just sure. saying that 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 awareness level, that self reflection, is huge. And a lot of people ask, well, what do black people want? Um, many times, it's simply acknowledgement that these things are true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> these mm-hmm. things are happening, right? Like, so that encourages me to hear you say, "Oh, I'm realizing this," right? Like. Obviously, there's more to more to do and more to unpack, but that means you have a soft heart, and that you know God can do something with that. So never underestimate that 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 power of just becoming aware, but don't stop there. I think one of the things that we have to understand about modern racism is a thesis that uh, Michael Emerson and Christian Smith put forth in their book Divided by Faith. If you haven't read it. That's the first book I always recommend if you want to understand race in the church. I should get royalties for this, but I'm not. <laughs> what, yeah, and think about for a second who out there who's a Christian that says they care about their theology and the issues of the church today could answer not me to that what you just said. If you say it again, if you care about what was it? If you care about race in the church. If you yeah. care about race in the church, here's a good book to start that he's telling you. So if you don't check that book out. <laughs> we'll we'll observe right. your actions on that claim. Yeah, I know a guy who who simply will not ha- sit. He's a black guy. Simply will not sit down 
with a white person who comes to him and says, hey, can we talk, unless they go and read a particular That's book. That's great. I, I, <laughs> I love that. You know, it's like, do your homework first, show exactly. you got some commitment, <laughs> then right. we can talk. So right. I appreciate that. I love it. That. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to start it. doing that with everything. Yeah, exactly. Hey, you, don't you read such and such? Well, no, because you don't get the brownie points for it. Like, look, and I had, exactly. like, first of all, you get seen at Starbucks with oh, the black person yeah. talking oh, about right. the Bible, and it's just, you know what I mean? You'll feel so good after you meet with the guy and take an hour of his time. And you probably won't change much. That's you know, right. And that's right. I've had enough of those coffee meetings, I imagine. <laughs> yeah. Instagram it, selfie. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's right. Yeah. But 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 it, that coffee meeting is actually uh, case in point because what Emerson and Smith show through a sociological examination, it's not a theological book, but, but in some ways more helpful this way. What they show is that white evangelicals tend to think of race in interpersonal terms and individualistic terms, which means the problem, the fundamental problem of racism is interpersonal relationships gone wrong. So one person doesn't like another person and then they do hateful things. The flip side of that, the solution then is I show kindness and I'm polite toward people who are different. That means if yep. I go out to Starbucks and have a cup of coffee with you, I'm done. demonstrating I'm not racist. <laughs> so we're, we're done, right? Like, why, right. Why, why are, quote unquote, you people still talking about this, you know? <laughs> um, well, that that's a, a huge difference between yeah. how black people generally understand uh, issues of racism. They look at it in more systemic and institutional terms. We look at it from a collective sense and from a from a historical pattern sense. That's why when Ferguson mm -hmm. happened, we weren't just looking at Mike Brown and Darren Wilson. We were looking at Trayvon Martin. We were looking at Rodney King. We were looking yep. at historic lynchings and mm -hmm. interactions with police forces and black communities. And so we saw this broader context and said, regardless of the specifics of this particular case, there is a problem with law enforcement and black people. It's not a just system. And then mm -hmm. a lot of black and white people are arguing past each other because white people in general were looking at it like, well, no, just look at the merits of this case. Wait till the facts come out. Clearly Mike Brown, mm -hmm. Brown had done some things wrong. What are you upset about? And yeah. it's like, it's not just about this person. It's yeah, about this right. pattern. So that's a big disconnect um, in, in how we understand race. You had mentioned uh, when it comes to being out in public with, um, I, I, for, I forgot what the example that you gave, but just basically something that I've overlooked even in Charleston, that is being a minority in a overly white, uh, situation. And, um, my wife's friend from high school was visiting Charleston and the restaurant that we happened to go to, she looked around and she's been, she's very open. And she just said, where are all the black people? <laughs> and, and, and we seriously were like, I, you know, she's a friend, so it wasn't like we were uh, feeling uncomfortable, but it was like we we did not even think about that. Right. And I'm curious, are are we supposed, as white people, is there anything that we should say or acknowledge when a black person is in a restaurant where there's all white people? Because I, our, our worship leader, a black guy, he told me, I do feel it. Yes. When I walk into a room and there's nothing about white people, I am thinking that. Like, it is something that I am, am working through. Is there anything we can do, or you just kind of let it roll? I mean, I think on the front end, you know, being selective about where you go, so they, yeah. that's not an issue at all. 
uh, taking those kinds of things into consideration, like what restaurant are we going to eat at? And if I have someone who is a minority, are they going to feel comfortable here? Because I go to school in Oxford, Mississippi. And trust me when I say I go into a lot of restaurants that I'm the only black person or even more often the case, I'm the only black person who's not in the kitchen. And that's yeah, the, right. the, those historic patterns hold true. So, you know, on the front end, thinking about those things, as for, you know, do you mention it or not? Maybe. I don't know. Depends on yeah. your friend and how well right. you know them. Sometimes that can exacerbate the situation. Right. Um, but it's 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 always a judgment call. But I think for the white folks who are in the majority, realizing that minorities are always conscious of it. When I walk into a classroom, when I walk into a church, when I walk into uh, a, a public building, restaurant, you name it, one of the first things, and I don't even do this consciously, it just registers, is one of the first things is how many other black people are here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, right? it makes sense. And and I yeah. can... Im- so, for all, so for all the suburban, mostly or entirely white churches that feel that are listening right now, tons of pastors listen to this and they're like, and, and I know they're going like, dang it. I wish we had more, like, I wish we were more diverse. Cause I wish we had that. And I do value. And, and they even do value that and want that. I'm is one there of them. They can even do <laughs> though. Like, you know, well, you're in that neighborhood and that's, I mean, right. is there anything they can even do? And it seems like it would be wrong to like try to start attracting black people too. even that seems misguided. doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a tricky conundrum, isn't it? Um, so I think the real the real answer is you're going to you can do something about diversity, but you're going to be limited by what you're willing to do. Mm-hmm. So I constantly um, am, am more and more convinced that our problem isn't a question of how to; it's a question of want to. Mm-hmm. It's not like like if we all took five minutes and just pad and pencil, brainstormed ideas to increase diversity in whatever situation. We could come up with ideas. Like, we know we need to diversify the leadership. We know we need mm-hmm. to maybe change the music or, or the aesthetics or whatever it might be. Uh, we know we need to target certain audiences in, in a different way. That's not the problem. The problem is the willingness to do so because it's going to cost you preference and it's going to cost you power. Mm-hmm. That's how about going to the black church for white people? Are they welcome there or typically? Dylan Roof was welcomed <laughs> into the Bible yeah. study, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the black church has historically been extremely welcoming, if a bit curious <laughs> when a white yeah. person comes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think it would be looking at the history quite understandable for black people to in a very polite way, basically ask, what are you doing here? (laughs) You know, especially post Dylan Roof. Yeah. I mean, seriously, like everybody knows that situation. I mean, what do you, what do you do now when you're in a black church and a white kid shows up for Bible study? Right. I mean, that's almost impossible not to think we got to be careful. Yeah. And, and, and nine out of 10 black churches would welcome that person with open arms. I'm quite sure. Um, Mm. So, I, 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 was a, I was a teacher. That's how I got down south. And um, I was one of the few black teachers. It was through Teach for America. And so most of the teachers they sent were white. And I would tell them constantly, I would tell my fellow white teachers, like, be patient. Take time. It takes time for the community to build trust with white people because this is so new. <laughs> there's so there's so few white people who are, who are actually coming to predominantly black anything that there's curiosity, there's skepticism, there's mistrust, 
And that's warranted. That's well-founded, historically speaking. So it will take time. As for, as for white people going to black churches, sure. One of the things you have to be sensitive to, though, is if you go in a big old mass of people, then you're going to change the dynamics of that organization or that congregation. And that's not, <laughs> that's pretty rude. Um, I don't, and I'm not just yeah. talking about one Sunday. I'm talking about, you know, a church is shutting its doors and we're all going to go to the black church. Well, number one, you better have had that conversation. And then number two, you should go in with the mentality that you are going to worship in the space as it is, not try to remold it in your image. Um, you have to be respectful of the tradition that minorities have put in place in terms of the church. Uh, is it? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I think it's. I, I don't think the same dynamic the other way around. So that when minorities come to right. predominantly white churches, those white churches should change. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's what I was going to say. Like, how, how do you respond to the people that like to throw the the super strict hypocrisy argument there? I, you know, I obviously know the other side of it, but you know, it's like, oh, well, then why wouldn't black people come to white people's churches and not disrupt <laughs> and be respectful? Right, right, <laughs> and, right. And who, in, in your mind, too. Who who are the you know because our the the church that I pastor it's ninety percent white and the few black families there I know personally it's it's kind of a interesting conversation I'm curious what you think what what is it about the the black minority in white churches what brought them there that's like great. why why do they want to be there in your opinion and obviously categorizing people in this is senseless but a general rule of thumb, why would any black person go to a white church? There's a variety of reasons. I know for me and several other people I know, it, it's it's the theology, right? Like we're convicted that whatever's being taught in this church is correct, and we want to sit under that teaching. And I think, you know, wow. first and foremost, that's that's what it is, right? Like Like we come to hear the word, and there's something about this particular church where we feel like we're growing spiritually, and it's nothing more complicated than that. But it's so important, and I think folks should realize this, it's so important that we are willing to make cultural sacrifices in order to be in that space, knowing yeah. full well, you know, this space wasn't designed for us, but we're getting something good here, good enough that we're going to sacrifice some of these other things that we would be getting in a black church. So that's one of the things. Another thing is, um, you know, a lot of black people are committed to racial reconciliation. They want to see uh, particularly black and white, but all, all races within the body come together. And so I know a lot of folks who are sticking it out in white evangelical churches or denominations because they, they believe their personal calling is to be a bridge within that space. And they're comfortable with a slow pace of change, and you know they they may want some things to happen, but they're they're willing to fight those battles from within. Uh, and I think that's a rare breed of people, and I applaud them for that. Increasingly, I don't think that can be me, which is sort of what has come out in in my writings and and speaking lately. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, there there are a lot of or, or personal friendships. Um, for instance, I came to faith in a youth group that was white. It was a white evangelical church. Why? Because one of my good friends from high school, who eventually helped me, you know, pray the pr sinner's prayer and all that stuff, he was white. And this, yeah. this is my friend, so I'm going to go where he goes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Gosh, that's good. It, it really does. Our friend Dan Coke uh, gave a question that I wanted to ask. He said that you uh, mentioned the parable of the rich young ruler as an analogy to the white church yes. in America today, which I haven't heard you say that. That's why I say the question came from Dan, because I have not heard you say that. But could you break down that for us, that analogy? Sure. So in, in, in the parable of the rich young ruler, he, he goes up to Jesus and says, I've done all these things. What more must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, go sell mm-hmm. all your possessions and come follow me. And what does the rich young ruler do? He walks away sad for he had many mm-hmm. possessions, right? Well, I think in a similar way, when white people ask, well, what can we do to increase diversity or to improve race relations in the church? Jesus is saying, go sell all of your white privilege, Go sell all of the advantages (laughs) that have accrued to you because of race and come follow me and be a true Mm -hmm. ally of minorities. And that means you might have to move your church location. You might have to give away a lot of money. You might have to uh, go to a different church. You might have to resign your your position at the church or take on some powerful elements at your church, whatever that means, whatever is costly. And, and the whole idea of, of bringing in that parable of the rich young ruler is that true racial reconciliation, true racial justice is going to be costly in a way that many white people are, are not willing to do. And it's not a white thing. Right. It's a human thing. We don't, we don't want to mm-hmm. give that up. Yeah, I could see that uh, very plainly. It's like they want to say, look, I had lunch with them. I went to this. I, I know in my heart that I don't hate them when I see them. That's right. What more do you want me to do? And he goes, oh, a lot more. <laughs> and and, and yeah. they're working quietly yeah. behind yeah. the scenes, right? So I, I get this more and more because racial reconciliation in broad strokes is not controversial anymore, right? It's not mm-hmm. like right. masses of the white church are rebelling and saying our churches should be segregated. They are working in various different ways to increase diversity. But a lot of folks, especially people in leadership positions, won't do that publicly. They won't publicly right. align themselves with minorities. This is my criticism of Billy Graham's racial reconciliation efforts. So he was very moderate for his day and um, worked behind the scenes with a lot of black leaders to do what he could. At the same time, there were two things. One, he continued to align himself both publicly and privately with people who were racist, you know, whether businessmen or politicians. So he didn't, he didn't call them on that. He didn't break fellowship with them or anything. And then number two, uh, after 1957, when he had King say an opening prayer at one of his crusades, which was controversial enough, as King became a more quote unquote controversial figure due to his public activism, Graham you know, didn't publicly align himself with him. He didn't want to jeopardize his following or his message. And here's the thing. He couched it all in, I need, I want to preach the gospel to as many people as possible. So it sounds real holy and pious, right? But unless you're willing to look, I selling all of your possessions in Graham's case might've looked like you don't fill a, a stadium with a hundred thousand people. Right. Because a lot of folks don't come because you publicly aligned yourself with the cause of black civil rights. That was going to be costly for him. Now, bring it down to just an everyday scale. What's going to be costly for you in your congregation among people who don't see race the same as you? That's great. Yeah. You, you know, when listening to this conversation, uh, being a part of it, it, it really does, it does seem clear uh, there, 
there just is mistrust. Like, you know, if you, if the same thing happens all the time to you, you see it clearly. But if I, you know, I, I'm, if, if I'm not really aware of it or watching for it or, or just even trying to be a little bit more open to listening or whatever it might be, then of course you would be mistrustful or, or in, in, across the board, this even past race or anything. If something is happening to uh, a person or a group of people, it really does feel like this mistrust is there and white evangelicals, the white community oftentimes just goes, yeah, but I mean, I got it tough too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yes, that's yes, a, yes. that's a real easy one to go to. And, and I'll even say that like I, I do sometimes like it, my life hasn't been easy now. What I'm learning and realizing here is that that's not what you're saying. You're not saying, oh, man, I think uh, white privilege is a, is a uh, once again, there's mistrust there on both sides. And then the communication, that's what I really want to get at here. That communication, I, I really do want us to. Uh, how how do we get that communication? Because I think a lot of people, um, uh, white people here, like, for example, like, you know, my family members. They hear white privilege and go, what are you talking about? Yeah. I have to work 40 hours a week. I do this, this, and this. This is America. That's right. Everybody pulls himself up by the bootstraps and do this. Now, that and that statement is true except for it totally takes out of context an entire history, That's right. an entire group of people that have constantly been pushed back, even subtly like you were saying. You know what I mean? Like, That's right. Even subtly like the idea of, oh, well, this is your church. This is your side of town. This is your school. All of those things. Uh, then you're probably exactly. I, I'm seeing it really clearly. You probably are. Your uh, your senses are heightened. You're like yep. aware in all situations because at any moment there could be something there. There could be a, oh oh this. I, I mean, does that happen uh, often? Where you're like oh here it is. Yeah. Like oh here's racism or here's this uh this privilege thing or you know I'm sure that 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 does occur just in daily life. Right. It, it, it really does. And and that term white. Privilege is so loaded, right? But I, I think it actually is accurate. But one of the yeah. more more helpful ways I've heard people explain it is, yes, white people can have a very hard life. They can be poor. They can be in uh, neighborhoods that are, you know, afflicted with crime and poverty and drugs and you name it, right? But in all of those hardships, your race is not an additional right. difficulty. Right. That's all white privilege is what we're saying, right? That's a good way to say it. That's a um, great way do, to say it. Do you it. have any sympathy for my actual point of view, ignorant as it may be or wrong? So change it if you would like. But, you know, I'm not a big fan of the usage of privilege as a weapon or a bludgeon or the way it's used. It just seems like it only inflames people. Like, I don't deny that there's white privilege, but I, you know, I only see it as there are many shades and scales and levels of privilege and I, and they are real and they can be problematic and I get it. It's just when people like to use white privilege in a pejorative way, I just don't think it's a great idea. That's my position. It feels like it causes more harm and of course you know how people are going to react to that. Right, right. So I don't, I'm not a big fan of running around talking about privilege all the time. How does that strike you? Yeah, I totally understand the sentiment, especially if you're talking about social media, right? Which, mm -hmm. you know, this may come as a surprise to folks, but, you know, Twitter may not be the best place to flesh out our issues with race. <laughs> I'm just, I'm yeah. getting that vague sense. Um, so on, especially on social media platforms, it, it just comes across as sort of divisive and as an attack. But, but in this conversation, mm -hmm. right, right, I don't think of you course. received it 
that way because we had so much no, more. No, I like that. Context, and that was the best right? description I've heard. Of, or a, a really, a, a, that was helpful to me to hear you say it, even in that in that way was I thought was terrific. Right. So no, I don't dispute the term or the thing, but you're right. The context. Is yeah. Important. So we have to be careful how and when we deploy it. And, you know, I, I think we can use other terms to explain it. I think another way to explain white supremacy is white centrality. That's uh, that sounds easier mm. to me too. <laughs> I use yeah. that on social media first. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe that's the wrong approach. I don't know. Well, well, here's the other thing: is is white fragility. I don't know if you've heard that term. Um, yeah, yeah. That's all. Those things are true, but the centrality <laughs> is way easier for me to have a conversation. If people talk about white centrality, than saying every this it, all that this whole system is it, white supremacist system. That's harder to engage with. Centrality has a, a more nuanced or better, or at least more comfortable. I can only say more comfortable. It's easier for me to talk right. about. Well, I mean, I think a doctor can say you have stage four cancer, or the doctor can say you have um, you know, malignant cells that are rapidly multiplying in your body, and, and it's a threat mm-hmm. to your body, um, right. threat to your life. I, 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 I'm a fan of more direct, especially when the issue with language is one of me feeling indicted for something that's actually true, right? Mm-hmm. So so a lot of Black people push back on even the language and the framing and trying to sort of moderate it because what it conveys is a sort of policing of the conversation mm-hmm. uh, that, that Black people know a lot about through experience, right, and history. And so I think especially within the body of Christ and with people in your congregation, you want to be sensitive for sure. Um, But I would say on the other side, for people who, for whom it's hard to receive and hard to hear, why? Uh, Because if it's not that it's not true, then there's something, you know, with you personally going on. Uh, But Mm -hmm. that doesn't make that person wrong for using it, I don't think. No, not necessarily. But, you know, it's just, I notice this when you're trying to persuade people, I have this problem. Once you make them defensive, you you, you have less of a chance of succeeding. That's right, that's right. That but here, here, you know, the Bible says a, a bruised reed he will not break, right? So yeah. to me, a humble heart, somebody who's genuinely trying to learn, I'll be flexible with you. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of people who really don't want to be persuaded and True. and here's what I've learned as well through experience, uh, which is why it's going to sound harsh, but in a way I stopped caring a little bit, is because no matter how I tried to tiptoe around a particular issue, it always offends somebody. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, well, rather than spending all of this energy and saying 100 words where 10 will do, I'm going to get right to the point. Because many times they're going to be offended anyway, and the people who want yeah. to hear are going to hear me, even if it's hard. Well, Jamar, I don't find that harsh at all. I think no, you I are don't. an absolute saint for yeah. spending this half hour, hour, yeah. or whatever it is. And, with and us I want to say this because yeah, you know, I'll, we haven't read that book or done all the work anyway. So thank you for for doing. No, this. thank you. For yeah, we honesty. really do appreciate you having your own man. And and what I would love to, I, I really want to hit on. Uh, we don't have time, so if you'd be willing to come back, I would love to get into the conversation of like. The plantations in Charleston, people Lord think they're beautiful, yes. but that's a mo- that's a monument to your heritage and the the slave culture and everything. So that'd be I don't know if you if you 
if you have any time in the future to come back, we sure would love to talk about that and get into that as well. Hey, this is what I study all day, every day. Uh, I'm writing a book on it. Uh, it's called The Color of Compromise, The Truth About the American Church's Complicity and Racism. It's coming out January 2019, and we go into all of that. All right. Well, that's let's great. have you and back you have on. a podcast too. So your podcast is cool. It's called Pass the Mic. That's right. That's right. Pass right. the Mic. Somebody stole our logo. And we just found that out. So we'll, we'll be uh-oh. making some calls soon. But we'll search, search <laughs> your just search, what, what do you tell people to do? Because I did see a couple other shows with similar names um, with that. So what was the best way? You tell people to go to the website? Yeah. You can go to the witnessbcc.com or passthemic.com. Awesome. Passthemic.com. That will work. Great. Okay. Uh, well, hopefully people go over there. Um, and I think that would be very, very wise thing to them to do that, to yeah. get a lot more of what you have to say, because there's a lot more than we could cover today. But I really do sincerely uh, thank you for spending time with us today. It's been yeah, a thanks, blast. Mark. It's been awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Jamar Tisby, that was man. I love it when it's you know, and I'm not going to say there's interviews that I don't like that we have, even though yeah, I will say that sometimes I don't like the interviews we have, but or I don't like my performance or my (laughs) engagement. That's that's what it is. It's engagement is the word for it. When you have an interview that is purely engaging, you forget that your podcast or you free. I mean, you just you're just engaged. Good point. And that's all. And that and sometimes it's you have to fake it for a second, or you take yourself. It's not necessarily even a reflection of the guest, but that gummit. I wish we could know in advance and do what it takes mentally to have always feel as engaged as that was. But I thought that was a terrific well, one. And in isn't that the case with any conversation? You yes. have conversations where you're trying to manufacture right. just the, the, the surfacey stuff and then it's like, oh, this is fun. We're just talking. Yeah, and then it just yeah. is a zone and everything else goes away. But anyway, totally. that I thought that yep. was that was terrific. And hey, speaking it, of being be in a zone, our, our, speaking of being in a zone, like can we put Toby in the zone right now? And Joey, I really appreciate that. It used to be really mean to me when I tried to bring the truth. I never was, man. I don't even you were, know what you're you talking were cruel. about. You were a bully. No, nope. <laughs> you were. A, yes, you were a fat I think bully. I, was. A I can admit when I'm wrong, but I'm idiot just bully. No, nope. just was not. <laughs> well, let's right, uh, get it. Toby maximally engaged here. Kick it. Hell yeah! In a world where you just got to talk to Jamar Tisby and he brought the truth, and game recognizes game, as y'all know. <laughs> <laughs> this is Toby Morrell. And this is the damn news. Hey, do you think you'll ever turn the news and call it the damn effing news? Like, will I, it ever I get hope to that so, point? but I, I don't know yet. I don't know legally. Right. I, mean, I got my it's lawyers on it. issues. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, all right. Uh, this news article comes from a roving reporter, Dean Atkinson. And uh, thank you, Dean. Uh, Dine and Dash Dater faces 10 felonies, up to 13 years in prison if convicted, says ABC News. And I thought this was really crazy. Uh, a man is facing 10 felony counts for allegedly going on dates with numerous women across Southern California before skipping out on the bill. How's that a said. felony? Now, well, let's read, Matt. Uh, see, that's when I know I got a good news. You can't even, you can't even keep quiet. I'm, you got to ask can't a question even to me. I'm, I'm riveted. Uh, Paul Guadalupe Gonzalez, 45 years old, of Pasadena, California, is accused of defrauding nearly $1,000 from a string of women he met, mostly through dating apps and online, from May 2016 through April. Uh, He purportedly went to dinner with them at restaurants in Pasadena, Long Beach, Burbank, and Los Angeles, where he ordered food and drinks, then allegedly left before the waiter brought back the check. According to the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office, Gonzalez has come to be known as the Dine and Dash Dater. 
Uh, eight women wound up footing the entire bill themselves, including one who believed that Gonzalez would pay her back. According to the DA's office, the restaurants picked up the the check for two other women. Prosecutor said, uh, in a separate and unrelated incident, Gonzalez allegedly received services from a hair salon in April and left without paying. Prosecutors said uh, the three businesses are among the victims named in the felony complaint. Um, they obtained a uh, an arrest warrant and arrested him in Pasadena, and so now his bail has been set at three hundred fifteen thousand uh, dollars. If convicted of all charges, he could spend up to thirteen years behind bars because they they uh, it's two counts of extempted. Oh, it's here we go. Gonzalez is facing seven counts of extortion, mm-hmm. two counts of attempted extortion, and one count of grand theft. All are felonies. Ooh, I don't understand that. Isn't that crazy? Well, tell me again how you get how's it extortion to do what? Okay, so what they're saying is he tricked them. It's basically uh-huh. like, hey, let's let's do this thing together, and then and maybe even alluded that he would pay or right. whatever it was, and then he he dashed. Right, and so he was it's a scam artist. Uh-huh. Same way as any scam artist tries to scam you out of your money. But I I think what they're saying, the reason it's felonies is because they they are saying. It's not necessarily he's only scamming the women. He's scamming the restaurants, I guess. Like he, he, for example, if you went to 10 restaurants and sat down and ate and then ran out, you would be in trouble too. Yeah, so that's kind of what he did. 80 bucks. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it's a, it was $1,000 total, and then he did it to a hair salon too. But it's, uh, I, I mean, he's not going to get 13 years in prison. I mean, I you think, know, I, that's that's frustrating to me. I don't know why, I'm, but but that just seems like egregious. But I don't like con. I'm not defending this guy, but I mean, I mean, what is it? Grand theft and that's a felony. If it's $900, yeah. it's not it's 1000 it is, but that's bullshit because inflation. So when I was a kid, it was grand theft. $1000 ain't what it used to be. You got it right. that can't stay that's the true. same. That threshold can't stay the same. That's true. Grand theft, I mean, my ass. In 1982, it was grand theft. Now it's probably worth two, $2,500 at least. <laughs> I know. It was grand thefts in, in the early 1900s. I know. <laughs> and I know grand means a thousand, so now you got to change the name. Right. You're right. I think it's I bullshit. Mean, I guess, yeah, I guess you're right. But I mean, I just think it's really funny. Like, I, I do wonder in this instance, if it was reversed, do you think. Uh, would women, I guess, the, maybe they would treat women the same way. If, if a woman did this. Would, would people think? This is a, uh, this would is they a, try to prosecute her, or no, would they just they, go? They wouldn't, this, no, they would, but it's not. It's not about male female. It's probably that this guy is actual criminal, a bad guy, and they finally got some something to get him on, and they're just maybe to so. get him. It's probably like the OJ got, you know, penalty for stupid shit, but just to make up for the other one. But like I'm wondering too, did he do it a lot more? Like like Reva, if you went on a, uh, you're the single one here. If you went on a date on one of those apps or whatever, and the guy took off, do you think you would? You wouldn't call the cops though. You just go, well, that guy's an asshole, right? Do you think you? Yeah, would, no, I wouldn't call the cops. That's what. So I wonder how many people he did it to, and they did. Oh, right. Call that's the what I'm saying. Just, he must have some. Yeah. I mean, there's probably more yeah. to it in, in in that regard. But I mean, I'm actually surprised he even got caught at all, and. I'll tell you who could never get caught, which I'm shocked at this, too. In all my years of touring, I may have heard a Dine and Dash story or two. But the point of Dine and Dash is you can only do it once or twice in town, right? Because then they put they yeah. call around and put up your picture and you can't go to the same place. But, of course, you can steal gas once or Dine and Dash once anywhere. But if you tour. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're in a different city every night. That's true. Then you eat for free every night. All you gotta do is We've never moving. done that. I, I would yeah. never do that. I mean, it's just ever once in Omaha, I dine and dash. Once in Brooklyn, I dine and dash. <laughs> right. I mean, so what? So you you're saying you could potentially Cereal. go 
You could go on tour and eat for free every night, every tour. as long as you keep yeah. moving. You see, now it's yeah. a similar yeah. to they say. There's a lot of serial killers, and maybe they're truck drivers, so they're killing these prostitutes yeah. state to state, right. and they never get caught. Well, maybe I'm the serial dining dash they've been trying to catch for decades. It could be I'm Matt out on the loose, you know. But Toby, it would just, I know be, you it would just be McDonald's. I, <laughs> oh, that's why you get screwed because you have to pay for your before your food first at McDonald's right. before you get it. That's right. It I'm surprised they don't don't go do that more often. Like, why not just as soon as you order your food, you just pay everywhere? Then you don't have to ever worry about. I don't think it's a problem. Again. You know, for the most part. Oh, I guess you're right. I guess <laughs> you're right. Maybe it's not that big of a deal. What were you saying, Joy? I was just going to say I know that you think that I bully you, and I don't. But that no, you was are really, a big fat that bully. Re- that was really a bad uh, performance there. Just your delivery. Huh. was very subpar. Weird. I think the, the story that you chose just wasn't that great. And just your inflection, it, it just, you got a lot of improvement. Hey, listen, I know why you're doing this. You, uh, off the air, Joey came out, even though he's a pastor, he told us he doesn't believe in God anymore. Anyway, that's the damn news that <laughs> brought the truth. <laughs> okay, so now what we got to do is, uh, I'm not apologizing for this. I'm loud and proud about this, but we have so many people that have joined the BC Club that the names of those people are starting to stack up, and Toby likes to make little jokes between the names, but Toby, first of all, you can't make any jokes. You can make a batch joke at the end if you like, and Joey, you're going to have to read at least double duty on the names. All right, double duty, but here's what I would like to do to kind of get me pumped. Matt, can you have some, like, applaud uh, and people cheering through the whole thing? Yeah, we can do that. Through the whole thing. Now, the good news is, the BC Club is I don't know another word to say other than thriving, but we have there's over a hundred and something names here, and they so we have some weeks where we get more that join than we we're able to read that week. So blast through them. Thank you. Everybody. All right, all right. It is Jordan Egley, Alex Hare, McGregor Knight, Alexander Denev, Aaron Bame, Joe Stringer, Chadwick S. Cobb, Paul Orth, Robert Snyder, Zach Killian, Jeremiah McCarthy, Alex Flower, Melissa Cubing, Joel Ostrom, Justin Frederick Luther, Blake Caraway, Brent Noblet, Stephanie Sioska. Mm. Yeah. It is C-I-O-L-K-O-S-Z. Flint Anderson, Josu Ruiz, huh. Justin Janetsko, okay. yep. Aaron Montine, Marcelo Akoa, Chris Ward, Sam Leslie, Britt, I'm sorry, mm. Brett Lockery, Carissa <laughs> Shaw, Arthur Graham, Mark O, and last but certainly least also, Delise and white, and I'm Last just kidding. Delise, you're wonderful, right. beautifully, <laughs> and wonderfully made. Uh, Delise has been in the club for so long. Did she join and rejoin? I don't even know. But yeah, so, I mean, really I would. Up, but. Yeah, I would imagine that sometimes when people's credit cards uh, expire and they rejoin, I would imagine that's we'd probably read their names what it again. is. But I appreciate yep. the rejoining, Delise. Um, and did you get through twenty there? Was that twenty or thirty? That or was thirty, was my friend. Nice. Okay, Good if we keep that God. pace, we'll be good. Let's do something else. I'm gonna tell everybody to please join the bcclub.com. Go to thebcclub.com and join it. Get with the peers. Everybody else is doing it. You could do it too. That's the pitch and I, there. And, and I don't know if people realize this, but if if uh, if if you join at a certain level, you can come on this podcast and actually talk to us. Nobody's on, joined on at that level, of course, yet. <laughs> no, they they have. I I think most of them just turned down that perk. Oh, they don't really? want to. Huh, I think so. Well, well the, also we changed up our format, and the BC Club gets a lot of stuff now, including two episodes that the general public does not get. 
Well, that's where I was going, Toby. Insider. Oh, I'm sorry. That's what I I wanted to do exactly right here is just leave them with a couple clips from, you know, some bonus episodes. Oh, oh, a little teaser. And let it sell itself, you know? Yeah, a little teaser for all you lazy folks. This is what you're missing. So you'll hear these jokes and no context, which will be fun. You won't have seen what came up to it. And we're going to have Reva pull a few things from. Don't you want to hear your name read, Ken? Don't you want to hear your name read, Julie? Mm -hmm. What about you, Max? What about you, uh, Margot? Would you call this a conniving approach to getting more people in the club or honorable? I would just go with just manipulative. <laughs> join, the, join the club or else. Yeah. We'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. What? No, hang on a second. Nobody's still heard anybody say that the fight, that bonus episode that you heard was not even anywhere close to the fight oh, that happened off air. Oh, yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah. The, first, the fight, I got That's the part unbelie- everybody's still missing yeah. from the damn story. I got so emotional that I could not stop crying. So at and the I was end of the bone episode, it. we turned it off, and then yeah. the fight began. Is what really yeah, that's happened. when the fight began. That's what, what <laughs> that's you heard. The fight actually happened. What <laughs> you heard was some me and Joey palling around. We, we were going to get a donut and a coffee. Right. We were, that's just me and Joey. Yeah, but you, you but as you saying it was verbally and emotionally abusive, manip, manipulative, and you got out and recognized it. It also was escalating, and most likely, if you spent yeah. thirty years with the guy, we, we expect violence. Yeah, that yeah, that right. one was ten months. So that's what we're defining it as. So I don't really want to get away. Ten months, and yeah. so he was already breaking his hand on the walls right beside me. Oh like, God! Right. <laughs> so that's that's obvious, and I want to define that as yeah. exactly the line. Like that for sure is abuse, a hundred percent. That's not you sounding some false alarm. That is what that is. But there's still some more math to do, and then there's some real fundamental questions that come out of that. So if that is true, Toby's still trying to dodge it a little bit. How are we not talking about one in twenty or one in thirty or one in forty men? Is, can anybody escape that? Does anybody have any way out of that math? Oh man, I wish there was a uh, a test to prove you're a prophet, like the Enneagram <laughs> test or whatever. Like I gotta tell profit you, level, yeah. I'm I'm profit like four. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't got it all, but I I got some intuitive capabilities here. I mean, you could write. Uh, I put it this way, Toby. You could write a thing if you. We could write up your own personality scam and make it biblical and try to compete with the Enneagram, but hit the more conservative crowd and do it like. Um, what level of you know counterbalance yeah. degrees are you of prophet, priest, or king? Or the, you know, you could build yeah. something like that. Ask a bunch of questions do with i mean you could build one of those things people did it up i've thought about that i've thought about doing because i did forever rain like a sarcastic i thought about doing a christian one and instead of numbers you like i'm a peter right. <laughs> i'm a right. saul you had some bunch i'm of not a paul i'm not a, a paul yes. <laughs> and you're you know you get a type you're a rahab of course i'm a know? david right. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i'm a jezebel right. shoot that's me you know <gasps> why I'm am a i Judas. moses i hate this about myself <laughs> i'm a moses <laughs> Okay. We're start now, Joey, each other. I would love to go ahead and make fun of, of you and your family and all that stuff there. but And I don't <laughs> want you to get jealous here, but you did have to butt your way into that. Me and Toby were busy making fun of Reva. I don't know if you caught that, but Toby, I think Joey's getting jealous because we're making fun of Reva yeah. over here. He had to say something. We're making fun of Reva right now. That is the activity right. at hand. And you're getting jealous because you love the yeah. abuse, my friend. <laughs> he even tried to set us up for Good a singer no, no, on it. Yeah. Yeah. All 
All right. We also do not want to forget to mention one of the more exciting things that we've done in a while. We're trying it for the first time, but it's the Bad Christian Road Show. Some of you were able to be with us out in Nashville, Tennessee, where we did a BC Con, and it really was revealing of what this Bad Christian thing is all about. It's like we all found out, oh, this is what it's about. It's the people interacting, the common ground we share, the stuff that we think's funny, the stuff we think is interesting. And it was a fun, full two and a half days or so of partying, hearing from smart people, just a lot of, lot of, lot of fun. So the the this little road show is kind of going to be a mini version of that. And we're taking it to many, many cities, as well as a concert to end the night up. None other than Emery Sherwood, Tyson Motzenbacher and the Vocal Few. Vocal Few, you know those guys. You know, it's old Matt from Classic Crime and his wonderful wife. So it's like a little mini conference and a concert all jammed into one night. And we're going to Nashville uh, uh, on November the 8th. Then on the 9th, it's Greensboro, North Carolina. On the 10th, it's Lynchburg, Virginia. On the 11th, it's, what do you call it, Teaneck, New Jersey? Did I say that right, fellas? I think so. And then on the 13th, is Philly. 14th, Brooklyn, 15th, Pittsburgh, uh, 16th is Akron, Ohio, and 17th is Louisville, Kentucky. You guys need to come check that out because it's going to be a blast, and it uh, I think it's going to be one of the more funner things that you can do with your life on that night in the city. It really is going to be a lot of interactive stuff, and you can go to the bcroadshow.com and go ahead and get your tickets now, and uh, we'd love to see you there. <laughs> 